good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to uh, another edition of Get in the Herd, our um, regular podcast here at the McShin Recovery Resource Foundation. My name is Nathan Mitchell. I am co-hosting with Honesty Liller, our CEO. Today, our special guest is Ann Moss Rogers. I had to look down because I was forgetting the Moss part, so I apologize for that. Um, Ann Moss Rogers has written a book, um, a very, very powerful book. I've read, read, I've already started to dive into this book and 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 related very easily and very quickly with uh, a lot that's in there. And I can, I can tell <laughs> that uh, it's going to be a deep read for me. So um, I wanted to welcome you, Ann. Thank you for coming today. Thank you. You gotta call me Ann Moss. It's a double name. Yeah. Oh, I like. Oh, I like that even better. It's a southern thing. Yeah. Ah, Ann Moss. Well, there was. That's funny you say that because one of the parts I read in the in the book you were mentioning, you were describing the um the 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 therapist, the woman that you that you described as old Richmond. Oh yeah. With the worn Oriental rug. Yeah, and I I I enjoyed the the. I really got into that part. I could feel the space around me and, and almost smell the old Richmond there. So welcome. Would you like to? Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, you also have a blog called Emotionally Naked. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And and wearing that the shirt now and talk about this. And I know that you'd even dive into some deep subjects in there. And so what I'd like to do is allow you to introduce yourself and, and introduce the blog and tell us about the book. And I, I don't want to speak your story, I'd like to allow you the space. Oh, sure. Mm. Um, back in 2015, when my son killed himself and he was going through withdrawal from a heroin addiction when he took his life. And it was after that, that I just never got in. I had owned a digital marketing firm and we had 10 people total. So I had to go back to work like a week later. I mean, was I productive? Not very. But, you know, I had no choice because I had people depending on me. And I kept thinking the passion is going to come back. I'm going to come back. I'm going to want to do this thing called digital marketing. And it just never happened. I kept wanting to go towards addiction, mental illness, suicide, grief. I wanted to talk about this. It had been cloaked in silence for so long. Plus, when I was running into people, they wouldn't let me talk about my child. Like I erased him from my family tree and they would cut me off mid sentence and start asking me about my house or something else. And I'd be like, no, no, you're not erasing my child like that. And I'm not going to go slink home and grief all by myself because it makes you uncomfortable. Wow. So I wrote a newspaper article. And it went viral. I remember that, yeah. And I thought no one would ever read it. Yeah. And I was petrified putting it out there. I really was because I thought my clients are going to walk away. Now, I hadn't sold the business at this point. I hadn't told my mother about it. I hadn't told my husband about it. Oh, wow. And you know, they, <laughs> yeah, and they, they were like, oh, it's on the you know front page of the Sunday yeah. paper. And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> yes. And it took me five months to write it. When I sent it, I was so proud of it. But when they told me it was published, I nearly had a panic attack. Mm -hmm. I had to pull over to the side of the road, do breathing exercises. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, this is what you wanted, Amos. Mm -hmm. This is the first step into bold and uncomfortable. And it's always going to be uncomfortable. And you're always going to be pushing this agenda. And it's going to be like putting, you know, pushing a spike built ball uphill mm -hmm. and it when it went viral i was just shocked i was shocked because 
I got 2,000 comments mm -hmm. from all over the world and everybody told their story and because they read their story in mine. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I had heard that a lot of people were struggling. I just wasn't connecting in with all those people. And for the first time I felt included and I felt like I belonged mm -hmm. and I longed longed for that for so long mm -hmm. and I felt alone and isolated for years and I went to support group and good God that was my saving grace but there were just so many people that were judge me judging me and you know all of that and then your kid kills himself you just there's just nowhere <laughs> to go with that and I just decided to forge forward and then I started the blog a few months later and then I wrote a post about getting the news mm -hmm. and it is pretty brutal and it's really the first chapter in the book is kind of what that post was about and it was called the final 48 hours and I thought why did I write this and put it out there I mean nobody's gonna want to read this and that one true 16,000 people on my newly minted blog came and read it that night. Wow. And I still didn't know why. And then I got a, a, a email from a girl named Lauren that said, you know, two days I thought about two days ago, I thought about killing myself. But because of what I read, I reached out to my parents and I asked for help. Yeah. And then I got one from a dad who had two children, who was someone in recovery, and he had been contemplating suicide, and he wrote me a note that that blog post had saved his life. Yeah, so from your tragedy, obviously you've been able to save, because I know a lot of your story and just the, the, the little bits that you share every time I do hear you share, I feel like that's just extra and more. So, Let's touch on, um, I'd like to unpack what you just Absolutely. shared. So let's touch on, because that was very interesting to me that you still had so much negative outlook or stigma towards you when your child is actually passed away. So like for us, like that are in recovery and our families and like we had know a lot of families, I'm sure you've come across a ton that were that are scared to speak up that my child is using or um, they don't want their neighbors to know and they don't want someone to know because of different society class or whatever the case may be. But then when your child passes away and you get all of that judgment, I guess like to give hope out there, because I'm sure there's so many more humans that are dealing with that still to this day. I, I, as a mother, I just couldn't imagine my friends and my loved ones and people that care about me or, or the community condemning me because my child took their own life. Like, how did you, besides your support group, like, is there any other advice you can give our audience out there? Like, how did you work through just that part of it? So I'll say that my closest friends were there for me. Good. Um, I didn't get a lot of phone calls after it happened because they thought I wanted to be by myself mm -hmm. and yeah. I didn't, but you know, I did. I think a lot of it is, is sitting down with one friend, telling that one friend, what is it that you're looking for in terms of support? Mm -hmm. Because losing a child, however you lose them, rewrite your address book. Mm -hmm. I had a very good friend that, that did a lot of stuff with 
haven't heard from her since Charles died. Yeah. But then again, other people have come into my life right. that would have never come into my life if this tragedy had not happened. Sure. Beautiful yeah. people. And I've had more of that than the other. Mm -hmm. So I focus on that. Mm -hmm. All these new relationships that are real, that are genuine, that are not surface type mm -hmm. relationships. So losing a child puts you face to face with your own empathy mm -hmm. and your own mortality. And I think it's important to, like I said, sit down with that close friend and tell that friend what you want and they can communicate to the other friends because mm -hmm. everybody's grief is different. Mm -hmm. My house was filled with people for a whole week. I loved it. I mean, mm -hmm. flowers, food, laughing. That's what Charles would have loved. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love, but not everybody loves that. Sure, yeah. So sitting down and having that conversation of what are you looking for for your friends? Do you want meals? Do you want this? And being very intentional. And that friend of yours has a little bit more perspective because when you've lost a child, you're in that grief mode and you can't think and you can barely tie your shoes right. and take a shower. I mean, anything that takes more than one or two steps right. is like, I forgot how to do it. Yeah. So that person needs to communicate with other people and how that communication happens is part of the discussion. Is it okay if I put it on Facebook? Is it okay if I send a message? Is it okay if I text people? Yeah. But I wish that we that lost, I mean, you're also looking at things from a different perspective and you take, take things personally and differently than they really are. Mm -hmm. So, I took it as rejection and judgment when a lot of people just were like, I don't know what Didn't to do. Didn't know what to do. Yeah. Or I say, don't know what right. to do. And so because I don't want to say the wrong thing, I'll say nothing at all. Yeah. And I decided that no matter what somebody said, I wasn't going to hold it against them because it came from a place of love and struggle and not knowing. And they, they gave it a shot. Mm -hmm. Did I know what to say before all this happened to me? I don't know that I did. Yeah. And it's the people who said nothing at all that, that griped me the most. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the people that, you know, they would say, he's in a better place now. Well, <laughs> no, that's not the best thing to say, but they're trying. Yeah, they don't know what else they to do. They said something. Right. They stepped up to the plate and they gave it a shot. And it, I saw it as coming from a place of love. So I had to reframe my own self and understand that all these things weren't personal. Mm -hmm. You know, when people weren't calling me, they're not calling me because they hate me and mm -hmm. they're trying to avoid me. And now they're like, oh, really, Amos? They got up this morning and they thought about you and said, I'm not going to call her today. You know, <laughs> it's, I'm just not on their radar for right. whatever reason. So mm -hmm. I need to get on their radar. How can I make that happen? Yeah. yeah. So I started having people over. Yeah. Yeah. So seven months after my son died, I was having people over and they're like, I can't imagine how you put all this together. And I said, I didn't. I invited you all and you all brought food. I couldn't have put anything together, but you arrived. <laughs> you arrived. Yeah. I just gave you a place that was relatively clean to me. Because I needed to be around people. Yeah, your people, your I call them your tribe, my girlfriends yeah, and my like people that. in recovery. 
What do you feel? So, if you don't mind discussing, so bef oh, no. before Ask anything you want. Okay, okay. Uh, anything? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, kidding. I'm not kidding. Wait, honestly, can I point something out there yeah. real quick? Um, it looks like Laura's mother is watching. Is that is that the same Laura up there, Nancy uh, uh, Wimmer? Says Nancy, Laura's mama is here. Uh, I think she's the Lauren that lives here. Oh, oh yeah. Different hi, line. mama. Oh, hi, hi, Laura. I mean, hi, Nancy. So, yeah. Sorry, I, I'm sorry. I was I wanted to follow up on that. Yeah. Oh, good catch, though. Um, if you don't mind talking, I guess also because our participants are down there, so I want to touch on some things to kind of educate them as well. Absolutely. I think they're watching this one today. Um, so before, you know, before when he started using in like. I guess signs for family members out there that you guys saw in your household, but also like how the disease of it, like how addiction affected Charles and how do you feel um, a way that you could help not only the family members out there, but also our participants out there on to recover, you know, on the right. other end of it as well. So if you wouldn't touch on like what led up, to this tragic day, you know, in your life. Right. So the one thing that I wish I had let my son know right from the beginning is as much as I want you to get well, I love you even if you don't. Mm. Mm. That not just I love you, but if you are not ever in recovery and you never make it there, I my the way I feel about you will never change. I may have boundaries. I may decide you can't live here. I may decide a lot of things, but that one thing is you're still a part of me. Mm -hmm. You still belong to our clan because that sense of belonging is the number one most important thing. This is a family disease. Mm -hmm. We're not sending them off to be fixed. Mm -hmm. We have to be educated too. We have to shift. And as mothers and fathers, we're in recovery too. Mm -hmm. Because where do we start? We start by taking away the car keys, using drug tests. <laughs> and yeah. then all these things aren't working. And then, you know, another parent says, well, I wouldn't let that drug, you know, drug abuse happen in my household. I'd put my foot down. And they're like, oh, yeah. Well, and then I they're sneaking out the window <laughs> in the middle of the night. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I did it for years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I and I jumped back in when my school alarm clock was going off a lot. Yeah. So when it first started happening, I kind of took it personally, mm -hmm. like it was an affront to us. Mm -hmm. But what my son was doing is he was struggling with thoughts of suicide and depression. And to him, taking a drug wasn't that better than killing himself. Mm. Yeah. So when he would get those thoughts of suicide, he would do alcohol or marijuana or he loved the LSD when he could find it and mm -hmm. afford it and all the psychedelics. So drugs for him started off as an escape and it was a coping strategy. And I think what most of this generation is missing is they miss those opportunities to build those coping strategies. Mm -hmm. And we need to find healthy coping strategies. So even people in recovery, they've always dealt with a problem by drinking it away or pushing it away and making it go away. That's part of the disease. Mm -hmm. The hard part is afterwards when you're trying to figure out when life you know, life has adversity. You're mm -hmm. never going to sail through life and it's going to be all perfect. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. You're going to have losses. Things are going to happen. 
How are you going to deal with those moments? What are those coping strategies? Charles's was writing. Mm. And it was writing rap music. But the availability and normalization of drugs in our culture, he decided to add that into. Mm. But the things that kept him alive over the years were his music and his writing and his family. So wherever he went, he put up a picture of his family. Now, I knew he did this, but I didn't know after until after he died why he did it. And what is my biggest regret is in that final phone call. When he called me, he was asking for help, but he was going through withdrawal. I was in an emotional state of mind where I didn't understand him. And my child was asking for help and he was telling me he's suicidal, but suicide wasn't on my radar. I just felt this sense of despair and I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know where to take him. I didn't know what to do next. So I think I just shut down. But I have forgiven myself for that. And the whole time he's doing drugs and alcohol, I'm trying to talk to people about it. But again, they're not letting that conversation come in. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, I'm doing something wrong as a parent or they got this feeling that they don't want my child around mm -hmm. theirs because he's going to influence. But, you know, it wasn't the friends. Mm -hmm. We like to say, oh, it was the friends. Mm -hmm. They find each other because mm -hmm. they're all struggling in some way. Mm -hmm. So it usually starts with some kind of struggle and then somebody trying something. And some people are just more susceptible, you know, or pre-wired sure. to be addicted. Me, yeah. Yeah. And like, so even with that framework, so like being a teenager and, you know, having friends, whether they used or not, because my daughter's 18. So we've actually, I've been drug testing her since she was 12. So John taught me how to do that with uh, Mary Page. Yeah, John, I remember this one time specifically when I first started working here. So gosh, almost 13 years ago, she came in to take a drug test and she was a teenager. And I was like, you drug test her? Like, just like, and he's like, yeah, I've been doing it. I keep it on top of the frame you know so you know and obviously carol's wife is in long-term recovery and me and my husband are so so we've been testing destiny since she was 12. passed every single drug test she just took one the other day but in our reality like being two parents in long-term recovery and she's been at mcshen since she was five so she's been raised around you know knowing people go to jail knowing people succeed like nathan and knowing people die she's been to funerals with me as well so i think like and i know some of her acquaintances or friends whatever you call them have used they put that crap on snapchat all day you're gonna go to jail stop putting it on snapchat but um you know all of that and and it's like i feel like like you said it's not necessarily i mean we have to be parents and mothers and we have to like have structure for our children but it's also we got to let our children especially when they get a little bit older and teenagers be the human that they're meant to be so i feel like you know a lot of parents are like scared just what i've seen in my own house and 
just been dealing with families for so many years that control of this isn't going to happen to my kid or if it does you're getting this this and this because we did deal with the drinking situation already and she did get punished but it wasn't as far as like you're never like using the word never and all of that stuff it was like we had conversations she pitched was pissed the first day and hated us and of course and blah 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 but then it was like open converse since then it's like I feel like we can talk about anything, you know, and it's like having these uh, parents just out there in the audience, like open conversations, I feel like is the uh, biggest prevention um, that I have ever seen in my own personal house. And for tons of other people in my life, it's like having those not, well, she or he is never going to use drugs. So I'm never going to talk about it. And like the sex talk and like, we've done all that with our daughter, but not saying she's never going to do drugs or never going to drink again or, or anything like that. But I think it's important to like be open-minded and, you know, have conversations period, whether it's in like, we went down the threat. Well, if you ever use Destin, you know, where you're going to get punished. Like I did that like a couple years ago because fear, it was complete mm -hmm. fear is. because nice. we deal with mm -hmm. humans every day that die, you know, and, and, and go to and going in the jails and, and just the trauma that, that we endure during addiction. And I'm like, she's got pretty three addicted parents because her biological father is um, somewhere. I don't even know, to be honest, but um, so it's important to like, no, it's okay to be fearful because we want our kids to succeed and we want them to grow and we want them to have families or whatever that they want. But it's also to let the little birdie kind of learn for themselves too and have that structured environment. Um, so I just, I just wanted to throw my parent hat out there and like mm. how we parent and it's not always pretty and beautiful. Like you said, it's like popping off and like cussing as well. And like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing with your life? girl? Uh, but she just graduated high school yesterday and she's beautiful yeah. and smart and fun. And like, um, drug free. Well, per the drug test, you know, but yeah. you know what I mean? So I think it's like, I feel like even with your, you know, with you're like literally living Charles's story because I know you have found a ton of his writings. If you want to like how loved ones that when they lose someone, how can you live? Cause we have like Jill Chickowitz. We have so many people, wow. Martin LaFleur, like live through their tragedy of like helping so many people. So I feel for you specifically because you have so much of his information in his songs, I've read about that too. Like his rap songs, have you ever like considered getting those published or like whatever the word is for songs? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe you know, I have Sin or someone Eminem. To like... I don't. I, yeah, I would love. I would love. That would be a dream. Yeah, and it's on my bucket list. Okay. Mm. This well, he's was... in recovery too, Eminem. He so. is. Yeah. 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 Openly, yeah. And that was Charles Love. Eminem. 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 Yeah. Love, love, love him. <laughs> yeah. And. He wrote these songs, and once I read them, I learned I knew my child better than I ever had before. Mm. And there's a regret there, too, mm. that there's so much I didn't know about him, and there was so much shame, and I had no idea. And I would have changed how I talked to him more often. Now, towards the end, I was getting better at it. I was working my own 12-step program mm -hmm. to try to, and I was hitting it most of the time. Mm -hmm. 
And there were just a few times that I didn't. And at first it was a lot of yelling and that isn't like me, mm -hmm. you know, but like you said, you're in such fear mm -hmm. and it's like, what can I do? I got to fix this. First of all, we got to help our kids with problem solving. Mm -hmm. And I think it's listening more and then asking them some questions. And I'm just going to give an example. And this doesn't have anything to do with addiction, but it's just problem solving. Sure. So my older son was moving out to LA. Mom, we're going to take all of our stuff with us. And I'm picturing this whole apartment full of stuff. How's he going to get it from North Carolina, where he was at the time, all the way out to LA. So in my mama brain, I'm just like, oh my gosh, how's he going to do this? You know, it's going to break down and he's trying to drive a car. And, you, know, <laughs> yeah. oh, you know, it's going on. I kept my mouth shut. <laughs> At the end of the conversation, I said, you're couch surfing when you first get out there. What are you going to do with all your furniture? And then how much do you think it'll be to haul it all out there? And I said, you know what? You don't even have to answer that because you're a really smart guy. And I know you'll figure this out. I have confidence you will. Mm. He calls back the next week. <laughs> I'm going to sell it all or put it or give it away. <laughs> it's 3,500. And once I get it out there, I have no idea what. So to him, it was all his idea. Mm. He had figured out a solution of what he was going to do. And then he told me how he was going to go out there. And I still want to dive in. <laughs> But he didn't ask me, so I didn't say anything. So when they were younger, well, they weren't real young. My, my oldest was 18 when I started this. I told them, I'm not going to lecture ever again. And they said, oh, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I said, no, here's why. Because you're going to call me on it. So every time I lecture, you're going to say, hey, mom, that's unsolicited advice. And I'm going to shut up and I'm going to apologize. Mm. And I'm going to say, I'm so sorry. And that's what I did. And that's how I broke the habit of lecturing because it does not work. Name one time that lecturing has ever worked. And the punitive way of doing things rarely works with kids who are, have the propensity to be addicted. Mm -hmm. So you've got to find new and different ways from yourself to communicate and to parent so that people can start to build those connections of problem solving themselves. So that when afterwards, when they're in recovery, cause we're all going to say that's going to happen. They can put those, they can join those dots mm -hmm. and figure out how to put those things together. So I've got a free ebook that says, you know, nine things you can do to build resilience in your kids. It's like a 19 page book. Mm -hmm. It is a conglomeration of many books I've read over the years that were hundreds and hundreds of pages and I just condensed <laughs> it down. Here's the core meaning and here's what I did. And then I kind of added some of the things that I did. And I followed that myself. Unfortunately, Charles is away at a therapeutic boarding school. So I really didn't get to try a lot of these strategies on him mm -hmm. because he wasn't there. Mm -hmm. You know, I had to send him away because it was a last resort. And I still wonder, was that the right thing? Mm -hmm. But I think he would have died within that at 15. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, you know, we extended his life five years and they weren't great five years. I'm not going to lie to mm -hmm. you, but I still had hope.
You talked about the struggle with the financing for that therapeutic high school in your book. And, and I, I you getting the loan um, right before the housing bubble burst, too. I think it was 2008, mm-hmm. right before that. And, and you also talked about scholarship, which I think reduced it from, what, 7000 to 6000 a month? Right. And so, you know, I'm looking at that. The first thing I thought about that was, wow, how amazing that is that's offered something that's around, but also how completely inaccessible that is to probably 99, well, I don't know the numbers, but to so many people. And, you know, here in Virginia, uh, General Assembly passed... Um, gave approval for a Chesterfield Recovery High School um, in the last General Assembly. And then the funding... I know, I was there. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, So, And then the funding, of course, is in limbo because of the whole COVID crisis. And so we're looking at, you know, what's going to happen with that as we go forward. And something like that, you know, providing that need because, you know, not many parents can do that and extend the life for another five years. And... How did you find, and I talked to you before before about the, the, that particular chapter, but how did you find the therapeutic high school work or the therapeutic school worked in your life? How, how did that work for Charles? And, and, and what, what would you change or what would you add to it? Um, it, it wasn't. The, the choice of therapeutic boarding school was not the best choice for him. Okay. They had strong religious uh, overtones. And like out in Utah, they were starting to do some more progressive things with things that people are doing today with this generation. So they were using things that worked on past generations on the current Mm. generation. And it just wasn't that effective. And there was one program and it was a rap music program. And Mm. I saw all this promise. (laughs) And then the... uh, guy who ran it got something for sexual misconduct he was out the door and there went the program mm. then he started to backslide i still have mixed feelings about what that right step was had he come home after wilderness i think he would have gone right back to using i just wish we had a choice of a different therapeutic boarding school but you know money was a big problem and it was all we could do to do the one in New York because we could drive there. The one that was out in Idaho, yeah. that probably would have been a better fit, but getting there and seeing him and make him, him feel part of the family would have been difficult because that was important to Charles. Right. That That's why I was down at the legislature every single time they brought that recovery high school up Mm -hmm. every single reporter that called every single meeting hundreds of hundreds of dollars of paying for parking Mm -hmm. so that i could say (laughs) you've got to do this you have to do this yeah and um with each group i used to be in marketing i would take Mm -hmm. the message that i needed to for them and you know went through it did really well Mm -hmm. and the the funding i'm just like really god (laughs) how long have we been fighting for this we have to have a local option i did not have a boarding school bank account but i got this loan and that's why we sold our house because i thought if we have to help our son again i gotta have some money Mm -hmm. 
And you had another son in college out of state at the same time. Oh, yeah, that was totally affordable (laughs) when we first looked at it on paper, you know, before the therapeutic boarding school. And people say, oh, yeah, my kid's going to blah, 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 and it's, you know, 25,000. I'm like, try paying 70 grand a year. Uh, Jay Sarge for our daughter. Woo! (laughs) We, We were just working professionals. I mean, yeah. We're not poor, but we did not have that kind of bank account. So with the, was that the only program he went to? He went to wilderness first. We kidnapped him out of his bed. Mm -hmm. And so I had to make the choice to introduce trauma Mm. to my child because he was. Oh, they really do that. Yeah. That's not just, they really do it. Oh, wow. I didn't even know that. So, so actually in the middle of the night, do they do in the middle of the night? No, 5 a.m. 5 a.m. There um, was the one negative comment that you got to the newspaper article it was, was. A, that that spoke on that. And I forget exactly what it said, but but you're I, I'm blanking exact words of your response, but your response was so beautifully brilliant to me. And such a, a because essentially what happened was he someone who using a fake account said, um, I'm paraphrasing my memory here, uh, but but essentially you kidnapped him out of your bed. Something you killed your son. Yeah, is that something Gosh. horrific? And I, what was your response to that? I said everybody has a right to their opinion. Yeah, yeah. you know, I, there's no way to know whether that was the right thing or the wrong thing. Yeah, it doesn't mm. feel good. No. Yeah. Um, but thank you for commenting. And then the rest of the readers just absolutely attacked the camera. <laughs> yeah, let me say they hammered that guy. And in recovery, like I'm, I'm a person in sustained recovery, and so f- that means thank you, thank you. And that means that I have to, um, I have to develop a sense of self worth in me, and not allow others' opinions of me to affect my own opinion. It doesn't work all the time, and I have to struggle. I struggle at working at that, but it gets easier. It you know, does. It does. It gets easier, and and it gets easier having really, really incredibly strong people around me who have been in my shoes, you know? So like here, you know, I'm a chin, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an alumni and I'm staff now, and I'm actually a house leader getting ready to, to move on, uh, but stay in my job, you know, but, um, you know, I, I, when I have struggles in my life and, and currently I've got some change going on and these are positive changes, but it's still coming out in very, um, sarcastic, negative ways. Like a lot of my, my, character defects are coming out pretty strongly um, in, in, in what I like to call cunning, baffling, and powerful ways, right? <laughs> and sometimes that means snapping at my boss or something like that. And so, so, so I'm, I'm really grateful to have that authentic peer connection here because although, you know, I, I, I may not completely upheave my life and just because I'm having a bad day, you have people around me who understand that, okay, he's just having a bad day and you have a little more perspective on what I'm going through. And so that's important that, that having that connection with people who understand, you know, but you're also telling people, yes, you're telling people I'm angry, but this isn't personal. This is me because I'm going through this transition. So you're reframing it and you're letting people understand. And by, being that kind of role model, how many times does somebody act a certain way and you take it personally? <laughs> and let me tell you, how mm-hmm. many times is it really the case that they're thinking of you? And I just did it downstairs <laughs> when the girl just ran off. I was like, oh man, we've been doing so great together. I'm your coach and I love you. And she was just, gosh, she's just beautiful. And 
and then, yeah, I just, it, uh, I don't know. It's and so people horrible. who who have been have struggled with substance use disorder tend to be deep feelers and mm -hmm. tend to think these things personally. And just understanding that that when somebody's angry, nine times out of ten, it doesn't have anything to do with you. It has yeah. to do with something else mm -hmm. that's going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do. Well, I don't know if you do, but what I do, I unpack everything with everyone. That's why I asked you really, can we unpack that? Because it's so much deeper, I feel like, once we say something or how we feel our feelings, uh, our feelings, like you have, I've, I've just learned like to unpack every little bit of my feelings or our situation or what Label we're speaking it. on. Yeah, like yeah. what really, like if you're angry, you know a lot of mine is like I'm either if I'm when I'm angry sometimes crap pisses me off for sure but it's more <laughs> like when I'm hungry or I'm tired so I have to really like look at myself and think about it and reflect on and do a lot of reflection so I think unpacking stuff is important so let's talk about your book so we want to promote the heck out of your book um, so this is Diary of a Broken Mind. This is Ann Moss Rogers' book. And where, um, I guess, so what made you, because it sounds, Charles was a writer, you're a writer. Is this a family? Is everyone writers? Like, what made you, um, you just wanted to get this out more, like his story out more to help people. What made you want to write a book? Well, one is his rap lyrics are brilliant. Mm -hmm. And I've never read a book where, I got the perspective of the deceased and the story, our family story from my point of view. Mm -hmm. So as I'm telling the story, every other chapter after chapter three is one of his songs. So you see it from his perspective as well. Wow. And that gives everybody a viewpoint mm -hmm. for like, here's how it feels from the family's point of view. Here's how it feels from the person who's struggling. Mm -hmm. And for my moms and my dads and brothers and sisters, they come to me and they're like, okay, now I understand. Mm -hmm. I understand. And I've had people say, I didn't know that my son felt this way. And I've read a couple of these raps to my son. He goes, that's exactly how I feel. And there's this whole bonding thing going on going, oh my gosh, I didn't know you went through this. Because we tend to look at it only from one point of view. And I thought that was a really important thing to put out there. Also the marriage of addiction and mental illness and suicide, mm -hmm. because we're seeing more overdoses during COVID where mm -hmm. I'm getting a ton of people reaching out who are struggling with thoughts of suicide mm -hmm. because they're not getting connected. Yeah. So I think that marriage of talking about and not separating out in silos, the mental illness and the suicide and addiction, but mirroring all those subjects is important too. So I felt like there needed to be a book that brought all those points together. Mm -hmm. And it, it was just nominated for um, a Virginia Liter Literary Award nominee. Oh, so. yeah. How do we, can we vote or how does that work? When there is voting, oh, I'm going to yeah, let you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we'll post we'll it on all of our stuff and our yeah. newsletter and everything. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Because there is a People's Choice Award as well. Oh, wow. And I'm, you know, I'm not David Balducci, <laughs> but I'm going to give it my all. <laughs> yeah. Um, where can people purchase the book? 
then get it at most Barnes and Nobles locally. Okay. It is sold out for the third time at Barnes and Noble online, and they have not ordered mm -hmm. yet. Oh. oh, wow. So it wouldn't hurt if when people went into the stores, they said, you know, I tried to get this online, but it's sold out. <laughs> um, Fountain Books, which okay. is a local bookstore, um, my publisher, Beach Glass, and I've actually also um, sold some personally, like when somebody wants it personalized or they need a free book and that information is on the site. So people donated $1,500 and I've used about a thousand of it. So I've got $500 of books left to, um, and when I run out of that, I'll go back to them and say, people need books. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we would love, yeah, go out there and buy it. We'll head up your Barnes and Noble, wear your mask, and go in there and say you want this book. <laughs> so, yeah, that's awesome. I um, mean, I like the perspective because, yeah, a lot of books that I've read is just that one person's perspective on their life, and for you to be able to like not just get his lyrics and 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 the beautifulness of that, but like share inner deep his soul you know on on who charles was i just think that that yeah. is being a, a mom i just wow i mean i feel like that is like i don't i'm like speechless i'm never speechless but i think that's like the most phenomenal thing um because i have a son and he's mommy's little sweetie and they mm -hmm. all know that like he's mm -hmm. 10 and he's he's a mama's boy you know and like for you to like from everything that happened, but you're able to like help so many teenagers and so many kids too, not just their parents and like the people that have reached out to you that want to commit suicide. And I'm sure you've gotten a ton of addiction calls and, and reaching out too. Um, so I don't know. I just think that that's so beautiful that you do that. So what's next for you? Cause I know we're, um, I was approached by, um, Wiley, a Jossie Bass, an educational publisher, and I'm writing a book about um, preventing student suicide. And it's called yeah. Emotionally Naked Truth About Student Suicide. And I will be talking about, of course, substance use, <clears throat> substance misuse as one of the one of the big things that people are using to cope with yeah. adversity mm -hmm. and how we need to get those kids, you know, coping strategies and tools instead of pushing the pain away. Because when I speak to high schools, I tell them about my grief journey. Yeah. And I am emotionally naked about it. And they're surprised that it hurt so much and that I didn't push it away, but I let it in. And how did I learn to manage it? And I always get a lot of comments on that, especially from males. Um, on they don't know what grief is because unresolved grief does lead to addiction and early death mm -hmm. by suicide or overdose and it's one of the top three mm. so learning how to manage that adversity is important so it'll be more anecdotal I'll be bringing in stories from people from teachers who tried and made small culture shifts, you know, and students who've done wellness clubs in their schools to include people who struggle with substance use disorder or mental illness or both. Mm -hmm. And start to, you know, create more inclusion and connection. Are you gonna try to get that in all schools? 
Um, or like through the mental health part of schools? The probably go case publisher for like a right. sure. and, yeah. and they approached me and I got a co-writer um, which I'm loving so far Kim O'Brien she's a PhD has done a lot of um, research in wow. youth suicide yeah that's cool I mean that's a huge issue obviously as well and you know a lot of people that we've seen I mean that we've heard of through special specifically this COVID is like odds um both of them have gone way up yeah and the two together you know a lot yeah. more people drinking so a lot more people suiciding and mm -hmm. it's and that has been true in the last pandemic in 1918 yeah. there was a spike in drug use and overdoses and wow. suicides yeah. and too well I think people also think the world is over and like the zombies are gonna come, which I think would be cool personally, because I love Walking Dead. But um, I mean, I think I could take out some zombies. I really, truly do. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very adapt to my surroundings. But what about real quick? Because I know we're almost time. But your preventure is that still in schools? You know, it blew up in my face. I worked so oh, hard. Really? Yes, it did. Um, do, touch really quick. Like, what was that? What it was? If they don't know. It was a um, program, and it was a brief intervention where, mm -hmm. by there were some cognitive behavioral sort of learning modules, mm -hmm. and it just turned out the Canadians just won that. That was the problem. They kept, you know, there was like a twenty-five page contract, and they're dealing with VCU, who's like. I'm sorry, we can't have this legal stuff, you know. Right. And I mean, VCU gave a lot yeah. and we just couldn't come to terms. And it was clear they weren't ready. We couldn't get in touch with them. There was very little support. So Jasmine has started to brain gym. Okay. So in other words, it's people in recovery kind of building up the muscle mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the problem solving skills. And also he's looking into ways to use that in prevention. Yeah. Mm. I want to be in prevention, but there's so little out there for mm -hmm. adolescent prevention. So when I go into schools, I talk a lot about that substance use and that's what, so first one third is my story about Charles. Next one third is my grief journey. And the last one third is all about them. You know, what are your problems? What coping strategies of the ones we've talked about, healthy and unhealthy, would you take away with you? Yeah, sure. And let me tell you, there are tears. We're hugging each other back before COVID. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there is a lot of awareness built in there because I want them to know that when you drink or you do these things, you just push it away and you haven't solved the problem. Mm -hmm. And you're going to run into these things your whole life. How are you going to resolve them? And then I want them to connect with each other. So once I put up all their post-it notes, what they realize is that other people in that room have a father who died from overdose mm -hmm. or a mother who struggles with substance use disorder or somebody's incarcerated or, or yeah. has an eating disorder. And I look at them and I say, did you know your peers were struggling with all these problems? 
tears. I'm in tears. They're in tears. They had no idea because they had not spoken with each other. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. Are you willing? We had COVID and stuff and, and things, but are you willing to speak via Zoom or anything out there? Oh, yeah. Where would someone in the audience, because this plays and plays and then it stays on all of our stuff forever. So where would they reach you at? He has your website up there. Um, there you go. Emotionallynaked.com uh, and mossrogers.com. If you look up two websites okay. my speaking website and i have emotionally naked okay pretty easy um, so okay. i try to maintain and my next thing i'm doing and that is just to provide hope i want him to talk about his mom i'd love his mom mm -hmm. to be barbara yeah what did you ask him do you want me to you know I should ask him if his mom can come on. I don't know if she knows would be that comfortable with Zoom, but I considered that because a lot of what she did shows that love. Mm -hmm. And she kept the boundaries while showing that love. And I think that's a big reason he's alive today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we love Barbara and we love Ryan. Um, yeah, well, let me know if you need me to uh push that a little yes please because we we have 15 signed up so wow. we could use and it's on june 24th on wednesday uh from 5 30. good yeah that's gonna be awesome because it's important for like family members to also know like you know what to do it's not really nothing like and what i see with family like what do i do do I not do? Am I doing like I'm in recovery and I don't know if I'm doing this parent thing. Right. You know what I mean? So I mean it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You know who you are. It's like it is literally I was telling the girl, someone the other day oh, a meeting this morning Zoom um, like it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Like recovery and addiction and like staying in recovery is pretty hard. Now it's a lot easier, obviously, but being someone's parent or role model and like making decisions for them. And it's, it's, it's difficult. I mean, it really, you're raising little humans, you but know, you said it a minute ago, allowing them some autonomy. Oh yeah. Completely. And that's why I wrote this little 19 page book. It just <laughs> gives you the opportunity to put a lot of those things in their court. Mm -hmm. So they make decisions on small ticket items. Yeah. Because if they fail a test, guess what? They're going to come back from that. You yeah. know, it's not getting in the car with a stranger. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Right. yeah. So, I mean, you want them to have those little failures. And then you can ask, huh, what do you think you'll do differently next time? Mm -hmm. Instead of giving them a hard time, say, oh, man, you know, you empathize. Yeah. You know, that must, I'm so sorry. That really sucks. Yeah. I talked to my kids like I do a participant here <laughs> because it's like coaching, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, I have to be stern, obviously for some things, you know, like, right. come on, you can't do that because come on. But I mean, we just keep it really real in our household. I mean, we just do, but I think it's also, and you'll see like being a parent, like, I don't know, it's like you're coaching, you're literally coaching someone how to like live life, but you're coaching them without them knowing. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't have a whistle and a hat and so <laughs> No, no, no. You're just I plant seeds. Yeah. So yeah. I'm you know, I'll just plant a seed. Do you think you'd like to do da da da? Yeah. 
well, no, I don't think so. And then two weeks later, you know, really could use a break. <laughs> yeah. And I think that'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're planting seeds, so it seems like their idea. Mm -hmm. And I have, I've, I can tell you by doing that, my older son has leapfrogged 10 years in maturity ahead of his friends. Wow. I mean, yeah. you know, he's figured out how to do his taxes and I'm going to send it to somebody and go save myself that headache. And oh, I mean, wow. just all this stuff. I'm like, yeah. wow, I did something right. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. It's those moments when you're just like, gosh, you're pretty awesome. Thank mm. you. So you letting them, I think the important thing is letting them find their own answers. Mm -hmm. And that's the same when, when we have a child that's using, we want them in recovery. And we want it so bad because we know it's deadly. Right. But we can't do that for somebody else. Yeah. They have to choose it. And we have to back off and change ourselves. And that's the only way we can influence possibly them going into recovery. Yeah. Pushing them into recovery. They don't own it. They have to own it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Own your S H I T is what I like to say. Yeah. <laughs> own it. You need to own it. You gotta, you know, just own your life. You know, this is your life, you know, but I applaud you yeah. for your strength, for your um, motherly nature and just being a supporter of McShen all of these years and um, having me on the blog a few yeah. years ago. That was awesome. Um, I still share it. Yeah. And yeah. I think you're over 60,000. Oh, wow. Please. Uh, autographs, ten dollars. No, I'm just kidding. No, no, no. I don't care. Y'all know I share my story wherever. Well, the it's been it's been read over um, the blog stories on the blog. Been it's been read over a million times. Wow. So. Wow, you're amazing, yeah. and um, you know oh, we're stop. we're I know, we're super super. Um, you're not even just for McShen and the recovery world, but for all the moms and dads out there and brothers, sisters, whoever, the motherly figure, the guardian is like, you're helping so many in the kids and just everyone. It gets, it's a bigger perspective for you specifically because of this book and because of your journey with Charles and like how your family is today because of it. So I thank you mom to mom. Thank you. You're amazing. Thank Any you. last words, Nathan? Well, and, and Moss Rogers book is diary of a broken mind mm -hmm. as written by her and with lyrics from Charles. Um, just one last thought though. And, and thank you so much for coming today and for, for, <laughs> giving me something that really put some thought into my brain um, this morning. Um, what are you grateful for today? Oh, yeah. I am grateful that I was able to get up and look outside and walk outside and notice just little things that made me happy. I mm. don't see happiness as some holy grail that's this state of mind that stays with you it's small little moments yeah. little connections and i'm able to see that now and i don't know that i've always been able to see that i love that i love that too yeah, yeah the little things, the little things. <laughs> just like i you know i'm listening to the birds today and i just closed my eyes and just that little moment you mm -hmm. know just like made me smile <laughs> yeah uh, our special guest today thank you and moss rogers and of course our co-host and one of my bosses, Honesty Lillard. Thank you so much for joining us today. Todd, as always, you're a phenomenal producer. Todd. Thank you for making it work.
And hey, Debbie, how are you? Good to see you up there. Debbie, um, shout out. I'm grateful for Debbie Rosenbaum. Uh, <gasps> last night, I was just not in, not in a funk, but just like exhausted. And last night on Facebook, she posted Dave Matthews Live. He's doing these lot like live concerts <laughs> for fundraisers uh -huh. for special organizations. And the one last night was amazing. It's about injustice of those that are incarcerated and it shouldn't be. So shout out to Dave Matthews. I literally laid in my bed with my phone and just listened to Dave and watch this live stream. I can't tell you like music, <laughs> like go to back and, and I don't, well, I'm the CEO, so we can go over. Um, but like to, to, to take all the time. Yeah, going. Sorry. Uh, I don't get to do these much, but no, seriously, like music, when you say that about like music helps me so much in my recovery yeah. and just to lay there and I was by myself, my son was gone and my husband was outside working like he always does on the phone. And it's like, it's just, it was amazing. So Debbie and Dave Matthews, I love you so, so much. Gosh, it was so beautiful. Love you, Debbie. Yes. Oh, that's cool. That's Dave cool. Matthews is a love bomb. Yes. <laughs> gosh. Oh my gosh. That's, that's hilarious that we've got, never mind. I'm not going to say what I was thinking. <laughs> we're going to trademark love bomb. Love bomb. I love yeah. the love bomb, right? There we go, Debbie. Good to see you. Okay. Um, you can finish now. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you again for all of you all here and for everybody who's tuning in either through Facebook Live or through one of our many podcast platforms including Spotify, iTunes and who else do we need to give a shout out to? We, we've got have we have we hit a dollar yet on Spotify? No, we're at like we're at like $2. Oh, we're we're making money on Spotify here. That's almost a cup of coffee at Starbucks. $2. It might be wow. enough for a cup of water. What's on tomorrow? Who's on tomorrow, Todd? So we don't we don't have one. Tomorrow, oh, we don't know one um, tomorrow, tomorrow night. night we have goodness we have um I want to what's her first name the the woman that went, did the skydiving for machine oh Phyllis Phyllis, Phyllis. Phyllis is on oh, yeah. it. Phyllis is tomorrow night and oh. then we also have Moses and we have uh, Mary Ellis. Oh, oh so, Mary Ellis. And that's that's tomorrow night. Oh, that's for getting the herd. Yeah. After yeah. hours. And then Family Fridays. On After Saturday, hours. we have John with the USA Flip. He's got mm. Paul Thompson. See all these names. Andrea Wright, uh, Carol Egan, Woo. and obviously John. And then Tuesday, we have the Recovery High School on After Hours with uh, Kristen. And her last name is hard to say, Harrituden, Her something like that. That's wow. cool. And then, uh, Kristen also, H. Yeah, and yeah. then Rania Baker's. And I'm doing that one, right? Tuesday yes, night. You okay. and you and Alex. Is that talking about the, the recovery? Chester yeah. Thing? No. Kidding. No. Oh. The so these people, um, they're opening up their own high school in Lynchburg, right? Uh, it's up okay. in Maryland. Up oh, Maryland. is it Maryland? Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought someone. We'll know by them. Tuesday. Yeah. I guess I need. A, <laughs> I guess I need a resource. <laughs> Um, Sorry, I thought Lynchburg for some reason. I don't well, know. things change but, yeah, so fast. Yeah, I'm, uh, not I at all. I just, I'm in another world. It'll be Wyoming by Tuesday. So. Yeah, Florida. <laughs> okay, cool. Cool. Well, thanks thank a lot, you. guys. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Take care, everybody. Bye. Thank you.